a, uh, a, a little bit of a detour in that. Shit, so, can it. Yeah. Um. What I'm doing instead? I think we just found our blurb that we're going to use at the beginning of the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What I'm doing instead is wrestling with the forward and the introduction to the book. So that's yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, I feel it too, man. We all want to be heroically riding the range with our Winchesters, you know. Well, yeah, we all want to kind of go back to, or not, not all of us, obviously, but a lot of us maybe feel like a little bit out of our out of time or something. Yeah, right? like exactly. Maybe, like maybe we were meant for a slightly different time. Yeah. Um, which that leads me to another question. And I, I'll, I'll have to be totally honest. I'm totally enjoying our conversation, but I feel also um, a little odd considering that you're probably one of the best interviewers I've heard. I've heard you, you know, interview Yvonne Chenard on a podcast and stuff like that. Well, I appreciate so, that. Um, but I'm interviewing you for the most part, right? Even though it's pretty conversational, right? Yeah. But I, so given that whole one, wanting to be in a Western, what's your favorite Western? My favorite Western would probably be, I love the unforgiven. Oh yeah. Yeah. But I was told recently that this one doesn't count, but my favorite, like, battle is is it was based in missouri which is and it's that book uh the movie ride to uh ride with the devil and it's about the missouri border wars which is not really a western as it was pointed out to me recently which um, one is that is that the guy that was doing the the racial the the slave stuff no um it's it was made by ang lee who made Brokeback okay. mountain okay but um ang lee got a book and it's a book by Daniel Woodrell, who wrote the Win- Winter's Bone, you know, the famous movie. Okay. okay, so Daniel Woodrell, it's from Missouri, and he wrote this book called Woe to Live On. And Ang Lee was coming off of some big film, I don't know what it was, and one of his staffers gave him this book by Daniel Woodrell. And he said, you know what we should do? We should make a like a Border Wars, like, you know, cowboy movie. And he did it, and it's in the movie was called Ride with the Devil, and it's the best. Um, I was I wrote a book about guns and historic firearms a few mm-hmm. in two thousand and eight, and I got really turned on to this idea of these of how the the cowboys are they were Western like Missouri border fighters, how they fought in the Civil War, and they used six revolvers, and and no no long guns at all most of the time. And they so now they have six times six, so they have thirty-six rounds, and they're fighting these cavalry men from the north who only have one single shot sharps and maybe a, a sidearm that they can't get to. And so that's what that movie's about. And it's really, really interesting. So it's my it's my all time favorite if I'm allowed to use Missouri and Kansas as the West. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's the, the, there's some going to be some debate on that one, right? Yeah, for um, sure. And I, I got I, I wrote a piece for Field and Stream about it one time, and the overwhelming response was, "We ask you about westerns, dude." <laughs> <laughs> it didn't go over as well uh, as you wanted it to, eh? Yeah, but I guess it, and you know I love McCabe and Mrs. Miller. 
Have you ever seen that? No, I haven't. It's a it's an offbeat western. I can't remember who made it. Um, look that one up sometime. That's a Washington State movie. Okay. And okay. it's it's a very it's very offbeat. It's Robert Altman actually that made it. Really? <laughs> yeah. Do you have a favorite? Um, I don't know. I mean, I I I would say that I watch westerns. I enjoy watching westerns. Yeah. Um, I really like this one Netflix series that was a western, um, Hell on Wheels. Yeah. Uh, yep. I don't really know why. I think it's just because it is so raw, you know? Yeah. And some of it, I mean, I went and kind of looked some of it up. And, I mean, I'm sure that they play pretty fast and loose with the facts. But a lot of that was relatively, you know, Durant from what, what was the uh, Union Pacific, was it? Yeah. Um, yeah, he did play a lot of money games, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, he did try to run the railroad from here to there and tell people that well no this is going to be the hub and then sell real estate there and then say the hub was over here yeah um you know it it does you mentioned kind of uh the bundy clan and and um maybe kind of hardcore mormonism i mean there's some of that in there where where they're like you know like you're not messing with my family or they're they have their you know sell and then there's stuff you know there's there's of course the freedmen. Um, yeah. There's racial stuff. The Chinese. There's things where they're sawing off someone's leg. I mean, yeah. some of it's almost a little tough to watch, right? Yeah. But it's so rough and raw. But well, well, one of the things in that show too is um the protagonist is a southern is a Confederate soldier, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think that. Okay. So I spent a lot of time growing up reading Louis Lemoore. You know. So did I. And. Yeah, and like if you read To Tame a Land, that's one of the first Louis Lemoors that I love. Um, one of the things he makes clear is how really, really wild it was. And and for some reason, there's this weird new narrative in America where, and I, I have to say, it's more leftist kind of people or, or more liberals who say that the West wasn't wild. It was about communities and barn raisings, you know. And I get this all the time. It was a pushback to the book I wrote. Um in 2008 and uh i was like well you know the truth is when you think about the aftermath of the civil war this country was wild lawless uh filled with people who had seen the worst of human nature for five years yeah and i i and there's an incredible story um of uh john muir you know the naturalist and the the Mm -hmm. mountaineer uh, John Muir walked from Kentucky to Florida like the year the Civil War ended. And um, I can't remember what he called the book, but it's it, he all he talks about is the botany. <laughs> but <laughs> but but he is walking through a landscape that is absolutely devastated. And those are yeah. the people who and those people left there and they came west in mass now you imagine what that was like lawless yeah have you ever read have you ever read uh, blood meridian like oh yeah McCarthy? absolutely there's do you consider that a western yeah 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 my For favorite sure. my favorite scene in that is when the filibusters who are planning to take over northern mexico get run into the comanche 
Mm. And that's the end of that expedition. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, but that book is more, um, maybe more real, right? Like, like yeah, it was, a, it was a rough time. It was very rough. <laughs> that's it. And remember, they get paid for Apache scalps. Mm-hmm. And uh, it doesn't take them long to realize them long to realize that like most of the people have long black hair. And they don't really have to go out in the country to look for Apaches when they could just t- waste that one town and make the same money. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 I guess it was just just the point that like that that book tells a different story, a completely different story. Yeah. Yeah. Very few heroes in that book. Mm hmm. You're, you're a climber. You ever go down to uh, the Cochise Stronghold area in Arizona? I have not, but I'd like to. Um, I've seen it. Yeah. Owen and I did a – my son, we did a bike packing trip through there, not this winter, but the winter before. Um, yeah. From, from Tombstone over around to some other town and then back up through the Cochise Stronghold, Dragoon Mountains. Yeah. Uh, single track stuff. Yeah, and it, it it was kind of wild, like learning about all that, and you definitely could see like how the Indians could hide in there and be so hard to yep. for for the American army for them to root out. Yeah, I just um I was I go back to that uh the you know the assassin Tom Horn from Wyoming. He was he was a there's a famous movie and books about Tom Horn, but Tom Horn was the packer for a guy named Al Sieber who handled the horse and mule stuff for the army chasing Geronimo. And, you know, when Tom Horn was a noted like hard ass when he got older, mm-hmm. but he, that's where he said he was, that was his baptism by fire really. Um, and that was just that time chasing Geronimo chasing, you know, the, the Apache wars, I, I went to Oregon mountains national monument and and just the sheer history laid in that desert, it just blew my mind. I mean, you know, I, I just think when we talk about this public land stuff, we talk about like the West and, and you, you could talk about Alabama too, the history of the Creek Wars and the, and the settlement of Alabama, but the, the history of America, like when you go to these public lands like Oregon Mountains or like the Dragoon Mountains, it's mm-hmm. just like you're, sta- you're standing in one of the most interesting pieces of history on the planet. You know, mm-hmm. and and um, some of that Geronimo stuff. I there's an incredible book called Watch for Me on the Mountain, and it's kind of like Geronimo is told. You know, it, it, the writer is not an Apache; it's Forrest Carter, but who wrote Josie the Outlaw Josie Wales? But that Watch for Me on the Mountain is just their struggle, you know, and their fight to keep to keep a homeland. And it's just it just blows my mind. I mean, and and so much of it is places that we can go because it's public lands. I guess that's what I'm getting at. <laughs> well, can, Vegas, you were yeah. planning, you were planning to go all over camping and doing public lands stuff for your book. Yes. So so now obviously this COVID nineteen thing has put a little bit of a you know uh, a, a little bit of a detour in that. Shit, so, can it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, 
What I'm doing we, instead. Well, I think we just found our blurb that we're going to use at the beginning of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, what I'm doing instead is wrestling with the forward and the introduction to the book. Okay. And yeah, and that's that's where I'm at. It's what I'm doing today. It's what I've been doing for the last couple of three weeks. Um, and I, I I have to I have to get some history and some some stuff in there. And I think that the rest of the book, which is more of a travel book. Um, I'll get there, you know. So how long does it I mean, take, how long do you think it's going to take ahead. you to write a book like this? Um, I've got two. I've got two years. So and is I, it going I'm to be, minus a, minus four months now, so a year and a half. So it's going to be two years, and you're going to spend forty-ish hours a week, twenty-ish hours a week. Um, Probably anywhere from like uh, fifteen to fifty or sixty. You know what I mean? So, it, I mean it would, it'll vary. It's a it's a solid two year two year project though. It you is, know, and I and I, I wished I could write faster than that and do it faster than that, but I can't see it. No, now let me ask you this. Okay, so I'm I'm really horrible at English, right? Um, okay. In fact, I should be in grammar. I really should be like. Um, English is a second language, except it's my prime. <laughs> except it's my primary language. Yeah. Um, however, I have been published a lot, not just on the Seek Outside website, but I used to write um, basically security research things that were yeah. published in magazines, and I used to do a lot of writing like that. But I always had editors, right? Yeah. And one time I wrote an article, a research article with someone else, and they were so stressed out about checking everything, making sure all the grammar and everything was fine. And yeah. I was always like, look, I'm horrible at grammar. You know, editors got to get paid too. You may as well just throw a couple easy things out there because otherwise the editor's going to stress out and reread it and reread it if it's like perfect and try to find things that they have to do. But if you just give them some misplaced commas, some bad sentence structure, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, they're just going to fix that up for you. Right. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and say, here you go. And, and then it's going to pass on, on through. Right. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it really seems like that for when I, when I wrote, there were times that it just like flowed. And there were times that, you know, I could sit down in front of my computer and I couldn't write a thing. Right. Yeah. For two hours. Yeah. And, yeah. and then there'd be days that I wake up at three in the morning and I'd be like, boom, that's how that paper needs to go. Yeah. And I would get up and start writing. Is it, is it kind of the same with like your book or, or, yeah, I mean, you've written so much or do you have more of like a process and you just stick to the process. And as long as you stick to the process, you get a certain result. Well, that's a, it's a great question. And I wish I could just, I wish I could tell you what is going on, but what's that? Well, I can't tell you what's going on. So if you live like that, if you write for a living, like you have deadlines on stories all the time and you, and you live that life you're talking about where you're three o'clock in the morning, it comes to you and you rush to your office and do it right. That pretty much ruins the rest of your life. Like if you have a wife and kids and stuff like that. So you have to try to create a process where you show up at say 8:39, 9:30, you know, maybe you stretch or take a walk or whatever and then you go and you try to produce on some kind of schedule otherwise 
it takes your whole life to, to, to just write, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you can't really be a professional if you only write when you're inspired. That's true. Um, that said, I'm in a death struggle. Let's see. I don't want to say that. I'm in a struggle with a chat. I'm trying to meet a challenge now of not procrastinating for hours before I get my work done that day. And I'm trying to do more of, and it's it's not going to be regimented, but I'm trying to do something where I have a goal every day and I accomplish that. And then I try to walk away from it. Like, like I get, you know, 800 words done, a thousand words done, and I walk away from it. Um, no. I have, I have not accomplished that yet, Kevin. No, you go home and you cook uh, dinner yep. with your family and in the back of your mind is your writing going through or do you, yeah. can you compartmentalize it to where you've, you've just turned it off? Yeah. You try to do that. But like when I'm in the middle of, of big stories or, or like efforts, um, I, I'll wake up in the middle of the night, just like you're talking about and go, Holy smokes. That's where that fits, you know, mm-hmm. or three o'clock in the afternoon, you suddenly realize you haven't accomplished anything that day. And it's going to be like six o'clock, you know, um, you can't, I mean, I can't drink a beer and do it. So like, if you want to drink beer, then you're going to have to accomplish something before that, or you're not going to have any fun drinking the beers. <laughs> right, 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 right. You're going to, yeah. you're going to be done for the day when that happens. Yeah, exactly. Now, do you find um, yourself taking notes on something? Like I found myself, I will say if I'm driving or hiking. Yeah. And so yeah. I think, I, I don't think about writing anymore, which I'm, horrible at anyway right like i said it should be english as a second language um yeah. but i but i still think about say my business my direction yeah sure my products how i want things to present itself and so say maybe i'm on a long drive um or i'm on uh or i'm backpacking and something comes to me yeah and so i'll turn on the video part of my phone and i will just kind of put the notes down there um the general thoughts so i can reference them later yep well yeah i definitely do that i used to carry a recorder with me but it was a brief period of time and i'm really not that organized i would always misplace it Mm -hmm. um so mostly what i do is i'll try to come in here and if i'm thinking about something um that needs to that i need to remember i have stacks of yellow legal pads on all sides of me isn't that sad (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> you know you know there's something to be said um and i mean I'm, i don't know if it changes based on your generation and i'm not trying to make myself sound old but yeah i probably can't help it right yeah but like i used to do some speaking at conferences and stuff right and the first time you know i basically made this whole presentation on a computer yeah um and i and i I had speaking in college and some stuff like that so i kind of knew from back in college you know it was notepads right yeah yeah or or note cards Um, yeah so that was kind of all fine but i found out that a presentation on a computer did not translate to my memory like writing it down right regular old cursive yeah. Like if, if I wrote it down, like I took a note in college, it got stuck in my head far better. So I, before I gave this present talk or whatever, and it was like a 45 minute or hour long talk, it wasn't just a 
five, 10 minute thing. Yeah, I sure. had to go through and I had to put it all on note cards because it helped me for some reason, that connection between my hand yep. and my brain just was much stronger than the connection between typing or pecking, you know, at the keyboard in my brain. Yeah, I think that's true. I also have a problem with typing it in. Um, I end up thinking that that's kind of the end result. Like, like it's not just notes. It's it's writing. It's like I this is this is like this is a uh, this is a finished product at that point. Whereas on legal pads, I can just flow. I just I just throw things everywhere. So, do you have like a uh, brainstorming method? I mean, so like on product, okay? Yeah. On uh, product design, I often will think like very like what are the different solutions here that I could approach? Let me let me think of every solution I could do. Yeah. Then let me start to whittle down those solutions. Like, well, this solution has this drawback, so that doesn't work. This solution. And now I've taken these eight solutions. I've got it down to four solutions. Yeah. Um, this one. Do you do you operate like that in your writing as well, like from a brainstorming, or is it much more structured? What what I'm always hoping for is an opening scene that'll that'll grab people and allow mm -hmm. me then to uh, give me the wiggle room to pursue the story that might not be the the details might not be quite as interesting, but they're important. So what I'm looking for is that is that place where we can go on a journey or go into an adventure. Mm -hmm. And then like, like people talk about that of like feeding, eating the vegetables, you know, you get the meat. So you have like your, your Brussels sprouts on the side, but like you're, you're, you, you're looking for structure that also you're looking for structure that flows. So because even nonfiction is supposed to be a kind of dream for your reader where where they drop into this reality that you're creating and that's very hard to you know it's it's if you you don't want to like have something like out of place so that people go okay i gotta go back to work or or damn that car needs fixing i just remembered you know <laughs> i'm reading about this public lands but holy smokes i gotta pick up the kids and fix a car and then then they're gone right yeah yeah and so uh, what you're trying to do is structure is for sure. Um, but and how do you how do you build that? Sometimes you build that. A lot of people go swimming and they swim up and down like people I know who write big stories. Mm -hmm. They swim up and down and work on the stories while they're swimming. Um, I do a lot of walking, you know, uh, and then you do a lot of the ass in the chair and just fighting with it. You know, um, walking has usually been where a lot of my good ideas. Sound. I think, yeah, you know who said that first was Nietzsche. Oh, the really? Yeah, the philosopher. He would walk for hours and hours a day. Yeah, yeah. It gives me a chance to work through ideas and to get yep. them settled. When you do that, though, do you see, are you, are, you, uh, are you as hyper aware of what's going on around you as you are when you're not doing that and hiking? I don't know. I, yeah. I really don't know. I mean, it, it takes a while to get into it. I mean, yeah. you, you don't get there in like a 20 minute, you know, walk around the block or something. Yeah. You get there in, 
you know, I don't know if there's a certain number of steps. When I used to run a lot, yeah, I probably could get there faster running, yeah, than I than I would walking. Yeah. So maybe maybe there's a certain amount of turnover. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, like say trail running, kind of like you and Dennis were alluding to with rock climbing, you you really kind of have to be present, right? I mean, right. you know, but it also becomes kind of oddly hypnotic. Yeah. If that makes sense. So. Sure. But I just, I've often noticed that like, if you've got a lot of creative work to do someday, right. Mm -hmm. Um, the day before that you might go on a long walk to try to think it through, but you, you can't, this happened to me when I got older, <laughs> but, uh, you can't really get exhausted and then expect to do creative work the next day. So you kind of have to balance out like a mountaineering trip or a climbing trip with, with being, in in your space to like figure out new things the same energy applies and that that's sad but it's true no I, I would agree there's a certain mental energy and sometimes yeah sometimes you know i wish that i always had a certain mental energy but sometimes it's just like not there you know it's right like that Bug, bugs bunny cartoon where there was like the singing frog and they'd raise the curtain and all of a sudden it was just ribbit ribbit yeah <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> that's it there's a lot of ribbiting in my life <laughs> one of the things i have noticed though is sometimes when you don't feel it at all like you just say i can't believe i gotta do this and you just do it anyway that you it, at least that day is not a loss um you know back when back when i used to tree plant I worked with all these guys from Mexico and they had a rule. And one time this guy showed up and he was still wearing his like ostrich skin cowboy boots, go to town jeans and like a leather jacket from the night before. Like he'd been, he'd been on a bender mm -hmm. and he got out there with his hoe dad and he planted like 450 trees, which is like 300 trees. It's like a minimum day, you know? Mm -hmm. And I said, holy shit, that was impressive, man. You know, like he said, if you just, he said, uh, you have to show up. He said, no matter how, he said, I don't know how, how hungover you are. I think it's like La Crudo or El Crudo, you know, in Spanish. He said, no matter how hungover you are, you have to show up or else you get so depressed because these guys were from Mexico. And he said, I'd rather be at home. I don't want to be hungover lying in camp. You know, I've got to produce something in order to justify this sacrifice I've made here. And, you know, I've never gotten over that piece of advice. Hmm. So you just show well, up know, and do the do whatever you can. A lot of times I don't think, I mean, okay, so you're very critical about every piece of uh, work you put out, right? You scrutinize yeah. it probably over and over and over. Yeah. And say, a lot of artists do or... People might do that when they speak or people might do that if they're a musician yeah. a band or something, right? But a lot of times I think that things tend to gravitate much more towards the mean. Like even though you think you were really off that day, yeah. you're not as bad as you thought you were. Yeah. And, and then there's days when you're like, dang, I'm on, you know? Yeah. You might not be as good as you thought you were, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, for whatever reason, you know, right. you end up. You, you listen to it or you reread it or whatever. And you're like, Oh, you know, yeah. Could have been better. Yeah. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. I think that, I think it is gravitating towards the mean is a great way of seeing it because there's going to be days where you feel it and days where you don't, and you still got to show up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you're giving a talk at, uh, 
DHA conference or or convention or Rondi, right? Yeah. Or if you're giving a talk at some giant conference, it doesn't really matter. I mean, you really right. want you want to be on, yeah. But you you might not be. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the nature of 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 doing that kind of work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you how do you think like people that like like you ever read that biography of Keith Richards? No, I haven't. He talked about where they had a place where they could step behind the these uh, giant speakers mm-hmm. and throw and throw up because and not not from drinking or drugs or nothing like just because they were sick that night right mm-hmm. they had these places where nobody could see them and uh he was talking about how you you were on this contract. And you're going to show up and play every night. And, you know, how many nights do you going to feel it? Like, I mean, I know that they, they obviously were one of the greatest bands on earth, but still, you know what I'm saying? They, they still have their off night. So I got, this is going to be kind of a odd story. Uh, back in probably, it was probably like 91, 92, maybe 1990, I was in a band and i worked at a music store and uh, i left my apartment hurriedly that morning and we were recording we were recording in a studio in austin that night and we had a gig the next night at saint mary street in san antonio which was a pretty popular kind of club it was kind of sixth street like but not as not not as popular as sixth street in austin yeah um and i locked i realized i locked myself out of my apartment and okay. I think my keys or something were in my apartment. I needed to get back in and I was hurried. And so I knew I could kind of wiggle the bedroom window and get in. Um, and, um, but I, but I did so too hurriedly and I pushed my hand through the window. Right. Yeah. Um, which cut my thumb. I still have a scar there. Blood ah. started just, just like squirting out. Right. Yeah. Like all yeah. over the place. So I ran in the apartment, grabbed my keys or whatever, washed my hand up, and I took a sock and wrapped around my thumb, right? And I grabbed a couple other socks, went to work. Then I went up to Austin and recorded with this sock around my thumb that was bloody. (laughs) Then then the next night I went and played a gig with this sock that was started the gig clean because you're jumping around and being all active. Um, the sock was bloody by the end of the night, you know, visibly (laughs) bloody. I mean, it was relatively grotesque thing. I mean, I just took this big chunk right out of my thumb, you know, meat. And, but you know, the, it was kind of, well, the show must go on sort of. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't really matter. I mean, as long as you're not incapacitated. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah. I like that. Um, I like that, uh, stuff I heard of yours. I didn't realize, you know, we talked about that a little bit, but I didn't realize you had done that for so, uh, in such a serious way. Um, yeah, I used to teach guitar and stuff and it's yeah. kind of funny cause we're just recording stuff that was like 25 years ago. And I happened to run into, I hadn't seen the singer in 16, 17 years. And Angie ran into him and she was like, well, you should come out sometime to Colorado. And then it turned out the other guitarist I hadn't talked to in 25 years, but 
we were kind of friends on Facebook, but he never posted. Yeah. Uh, but, he, but he commented on a hunting picture of mine. And I said, well, sometime when you're in Colorado, because he said his family went to Colorado occasionally, I said, come look me up. And it turned out they both kind of came and looked me up. And we were like, well, too bad we didn't have the technology then that we do now. And yeah. so the singer was like, you know what? We can do this. Um, so I said, well, what the heck? We'll give it a try. And it's actually coming out really well. So, right. um, so yeah. Are you, so, are you all playing again? Not, not, not like live, but I mean, we're recording and we're, yeah. we're, we're socially distant recording. I mean, the singer's yeah. laying down his stuff in LA. Um, the other guy's recording his stuff in Dallas. I'm recording my stuff here and then we mix it together and, um, it's coming out really, really well. I mean, I'm really pleased. That's cool, so, man. Art in the pandemic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and we're doing it in a socially distant sort of way. Yeah. So very distant. Wow. Um, who, who could so, have dreamed? Yeah. So back to kind of some of your art, right? Yeah. Who were, who was your most fun interview you've ever done? Um, I think it's Tom McGuane. Uh, who's the novelist from Montana? Um, oh yeah, he, he wrote the yeah he wrote the screenplay for Tom Horn. He wrote the screenplay for the Missouri Breaks. Um, he's written. He's probably the best nonfiction writer on hunting and fishing in and I, I think ever. And he's one of the funniest people that I've ever known. And I I've had a deep engagement with his work, his writing ever since I was like eighteen. And so to walk into his cabin, his his office there in in Montana, and uh, have I mean I, I I just knew so much about his work, you know, just from loving it. And then here's this incredibly generous, funny guy, who's you know they did stuff like like helping to pioneer the tarpon fishing in the Keys with the fly rod and. Um, he's an incredible horseman. He was cutting horse guy of the year. Um, and, and he's just like incredibly funny and generous. And we just had a blast. And I, yeah. And I, and I, I mean, I've enjoyed every one of them. I've never done one. I didn't enjoy. It was, it was an amazing thing to be able to say. Yeah. 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 Um, did you have any, what what piece of uh, writing are you? Did you find most rewarding? Uh, from McGuane? Or just in general of your writing, of your uh, writing. I mean, who? You mean would I pick one that I liked? If if there was one that you that you could say this is Hal Herring, right? This <laughs> is this is this is what I want people to know me for. Wow. Um, I, I'm gonna pick a weird, a little one, and it's called the unsung, uh, the unsung value of BLM lands. <laughs> oh, really? And, yeah, and I just laid down exactly what my life was on the on the on BLM lands around the you know west, and and why they were imported, and it and it became kind of this. It was it was published and republished. Uh, and for some reason, when I wrote it, I didn't think of it as that important, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I did a lot of pieces at Field and Stream for the conservationist column that uh, I think I, I got as close to it as I've ever gotten, you know. Um, 
And I'm I'm still I, I hope I still have that one to write the one you're talking about. Oh yeah, you still yeah. Have your, uh, your 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 penultimate. Uh, yeah. Article. Yeah. So, yeah. I haven't. I mean, I've written a lot of big stories, like the one about the, it's called Wolf Whiplash, and it was just about how the environmentalists just simply would not accept wolf recovery in the West. They kept on putting the lawsuits and they all that. And that was one of the most controversial stories I've ever done, you know. Um, and I, I considered that one to be important because it was a way that rather than celebrating victory or declaring victory and celebrating it, they just, they snatched defeat from the jaws of victory, you know? I would um, agree. Yeah. And I, and I, I argued that. And at the time people were not ready to hear that argument. And I, I thank the Lord for high country news every day because they've been willing to, to give me the room to do these, these very, very challenging stories over and yeah. over. <laughs> yeah, I, th I think the environmentalists would help themselves a lot if they would be like, cool, wolves are recovered here. Yep. Let's move on. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, yeah. Instead of wanting to argue um, the recovery part, you know? Oh, it was, it, was so, it was so disruptive, you know? And... Um, I was, you know, that and that story, that story was actually very difficult. It took a long time to get it to where it was. And um, maybe that's, I'm, I, I might have, that one, my editor, who was, it was Ray Ring at the time, who was a High Country News Northern Rockies editor. Mm -hmm. he, he had a lot to do with the success of that story because he was a, um, he, he, he was an outsider to the story, to my work on it. Mm -hmm. And he was able to judge it with a very dispassionate editorial eye. And Ray had a lot to do with why that story worked. And why it infuriated so many people on every side. <laughs> when it comes to wolves, you're going to tick off people on both yeah. sides all the but time. Sometimes I, sometime I think that my, 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 uh, I was placed on this earth to infuriate people. <laughs> where, uh, where, where can people find those help yeah they're archived on my website or or there's links to them on my website um okay. if you go to high country news and you dial in my name in the search engine okay. it'll bring it'll bring up work all the way back to 1998 which is kind of shocking okay wow so um but i uh yeah, I mean, I mean, those big journalism projects still. I don't, I don't know that there's. It's not literature, maybe, but um, they they definitely have the heart and soul. Like, they're, holy smokes, is there some hours and some blood and sweat and tears, you know, in them? Yeah, yeah, I bet. So let's kind of uh, to bring this whole thing full circle. We've really kind of been on this podcast quite a bit, and I didn't mean to take up so much of your time, Hal. That's okay. Um, so we've talked about prepping. You've talked about writing gun books, talked about whole state of things, right? Yeah. So if you were having a prepping gun, what would your prepper gun be? What gun would it be? Yeah. It's a, a basic AR. Oh, yeah. Yeah, basic AR with iron sights and um, uh, just like in a, in a full stock, you know, not, not a collapsible or anything, just a basic AR. They're so simple. And the 223 is so versatile 
um, where legal, you can shoot deer with it. And it's just, it's just the simplest gun. I mean, they're just, you can take them apart yourself. You can, you could have parts in a box, you know, um, that's probably not a popular opinion, but that's mine. And I, I don't hunt with an AR myself. I have ARs that I shoot, but if I could only have one, it'd probably be a 20 inch barreled AR 15 made by somebody. I have a Colt and, uh, I have a, I actually have a couple of them, but that's my choice. How about, would that be close to what you say or not? I don't know. I mean, I don't, I don't think that much about guns all the time. Yeah. I think, I think about them primarily in a hunting, in a yeah. hunting uh, way. I've been shooting a Creedmoor 6.5 the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, which I know, you know, a lot of people probably like, wow, what a, what a wussy or whatever, but, uh, <laughs> it's been, ma- it's been making stuff pretty dead. Pretty oh quickly. yeah. Well, um, I just shoot a 308 for a brawl big game. Yeah. Um, before that I used a 30 yacht. Um, I know that like, uh, what's that book? Uh, the Whelan book, uh, on your own in the wilderness. Uh-huh. Whelan was, he advocated like a 30 yacht and then you'd have a special low hand load, and stuff for like small game yep. and things like that. I just didn't really ever want to get that much into messing with the different loads. Right. And, and I, my, my attention span for reloading is, is a little bit too short. I would agree. Yeah. As well. I mean, I, and I really admire it. Like amongst people I know who I, they'll, they'll load for me stuff, mm-hmm. but I'm not sure that I have the attention span to do that. Like, like they do. And I appreciate that they do it for me. Yeah, I mean, you could you could maybe make an argument that a twelve gauge would be pretty useful in yeah. a lot of different ways, right? But if uh, those elk were way across the ridge, you'd be you might as well have a bow and arrow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So I just yeah. I think of it as simplicity, you know, um, like 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 a single shot twenty two would be definitely in the quiver. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, a Rossi trifecta, which has a 243 barrel, a 20 gauge barrel, and a 22 barrel on it, and that's a pretty cool little system. Wow! Yeah, that, that is pretty well. Or you could, or you can make an argument that something reusable, like a bow and arrow, what might be. Although it's not going to do you very much good if the zombies are coming after you. No, and it, like yeah, I mean, I was I was thinking of a single firearm for like uh, personal or family defense, mm-hmm. getting meat, you know, um, and getting meat at the same time, and that was portable and simple. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you didn't have zombies, then the, that Rossi trifecta would probably be pretty good. Yeah, yeah, and, definitely. So I just got an email that said the BHA Rondi is canceled this year. So I guess wow. I won't see you up there. No, but uh, if the social distancing thing stops and we can go to Bears ears, let's do that. Yeah, totally, totally in. Yeah. Um, or you've seen my country. There's lots of room to socially distance through here. Oh, no, I know. I like your country. I like fishing that yeah. little stream we fished that one day. Yeah, yeah. And all of that got blown out in that huge flood, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah, but it's it's coming back. It's like we've had, we had these huge floods, man. I mean, like two years running. Just like you couldn't believe my house got flooded. Everything got flooded. And those those creeks have been really moved around, but um, they're coming back stronger than ever. It's funny how Which is the nature. Here. Yeah, 
Yeah, regenerative destruction. Yep. Okay. Well, it sounds awesome. Thank you for All right, uh, KT. coming on, man. Yeah. And definitely let's get together. You got anything to add, Dennis? Um, no, thanks. Thanks, Al. Uh, thanks for taking the time. Enjoy got, it, man. I got a bunch of notes here. Um, yeah, I'll be checking out, uh, trying to read some of your stuff for sure. I'll find it on your website. Well, you can you can spend your time in, in isolation, absorbing the contents of my id. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all have fun, man. You too, stay, man. Stay strong, stay strong, healthy, and optimistic. Will do. Same to you. Al. All right. See Good ya. Chat. All right. See ya, Dennis. Yeah.